Welcome, everyone. We're so glad that you're here with us today. Welcome to all of you that are connecting with us online. Smyrna Campus, we love you guys. Welcome. We're glad that you're with us today. Uh, we are in a series called Happy Thanksgiving. And it's three separate words. We're not putting uh, Thanksgiving together there. It's showing the relationship between being happy or joyful in our lives with having a grateful attitude and how that leads to a generous lifestyle and how we can give ourselves away in the name of Jesus. And those are interrelated. So if you've missed any of these, they are on our website, you get lakeshore.com, or you can subscribe to our YouTube channel and get them there, or our podcast if you like to listen to podcasts. And in this series, we've been looking at how in, in God's plan for our lives, in order to be able to have that happy Thanksgiving kind of life, we need to start with trusting God completely, knowing that he's faithful, he, he's going to always come through with his promises. When you know that about God, it allows you to have a more grateful attitude and a more generous spirit in your life. And it brings greater joy to you to know he loves you that way. And then we last week talked about living generously. Like I said, when you, when you trust God, it, it frees you up to live generously because you're not afraid to, to share and to give time and resources and, and gifts and abilities. You're not afraid to give those away because you know God is going to honor that and still take care of you in the process. Today, we're going to talk about how that leads to another step. When you trust God like you need to, you learn to live generously. Then you have this higher purpose for why you do what you do. And it's to advance the work of the kingdom of God that God planned in advance for all of us to do. To, to be involved in the process and the mission that God has given his people, the church, to go and make disciples, to, to raise them up to maturity in Christ. We begin to take that on as our higher purpose for our very existence of our lives. This whole series is found in a, uh, centered in a story that Jesus told. If you've got your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 12. You can pull it up on your smartphone or tablet as well. It's often called the parable of the rich fool because Jesus refers to this person in the story as being a foolish person, even though he was wealthy. Pick up with verse 13 of Luke 12. It says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. And here's that statement that we're really focusing on that Jesus made that is so hard for us to accept in our culture. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. We're told just the opposite, aren't we? Our whole lives growing up in America, that life does consist in the abundance of our possessions. So in light of making a statement that would be countercultural, Jesus tells this story. He says, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Remember, he's already rich. And now he has an abundant harvest in addition to the wealth that he already had. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barn to build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you've got plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not what? Rich toward God. 
You see, the rich toward God part is what we're really focusing on now in the last couple of weeks of this series. Being rich toward God means we start putting the priorities in our lives that God wants us to have. God starts coming first. That's a transition that has to happen when we surrender our lives to Christ and we come under the teachings of the authority of his word, then we have to start transitioning over from life consists in the abundance of, of our possessions. We've got to start transitioning over to life is all about being rich toward God, which means we put the kingdom of God first. That becomes the highest priority, advancing the work of the kingdom, advancing the kingdom that God wants to advance. It's played out in a lot of different ways. Uh, there was a guy named uh, Bill who died, and he left a will uh, for his wife and family. And in the will, he asked his wife, he said, here's $30,000 for the funeral. I want an elaborate funeral. So he died, and she had this funeral, and it was beautiful, and it was amazing. And as the last of the visitors uh, left the funeral, uh, her closest friend, uh, was right there beside her and she turned to her and said I think he would have been so pleased with this funeral and the friend said to her leaned up close and said well what did it really cost to do all this she said the whole amount that he left for it thirty thousand dollars she said I, I don't understand thirty thousand it was nice okay it was really really nice but thirty thousand she said yeah the funeral was sixty five hundred dollars I donated $500 to the church. The food and the drinks were another $500. And the rest went for the memorial stone. Well, her friend quickly added it up. And she said, $22,500 for a memorial stone? How big was it? She held up her hand and said, two and a half carats. <laughs> Sometimes the priorities can get a little skewed, right? So sometimes we, we don't really work on putting the right things first in our lives. And, and we can get too connected to thinking that our life consists in the abundance of our possessions. Remember, Jesus is not condemning possessions, and he's not even condemning wealth in any way whatsoever here. He's just saying don't let those things keep you from being rich toward God at the same time. Make sure you are advancing the kingdom with the blessings that God gives you. So today I want to spend our time looking at five things, and they all start with C, all right? So five C's. I find it helps me remember when I can do something like that. Five C's that we can do, that we can apply to our lives to help us really be used by God to advance the kingdom work that he wants us to be doing while we're here, okay? The first C is this. It's center. Center your life around him, around God, Christ, and his church. Make that the center of your life. See, God doesn't want to be just an addition to your life. He doesn't want you to walk with Christ to just be a, another segment of the pie that you've broken your life down into. He wants that to be the center of our lives. He didn't leave us on this earth just to live a self-centered life. That's not what he wants for any of us. He wants to be the axis of our existence. He wants to be the hub of our hearts. He wants to be the focal point of our lives. He wants to be the nucleus of everything we do. God at the core of everything. All the decisions we make, all the actions we take, all the words that we speak, God needs to be at the core of all of that in order for us to advance the kingdom while we're here. 
I love Matthew 22. Jesus has asked this question that he answers in verse 37 and 38. Which is the greatest commandment? Right? Now, now, he had a lot to choose from. When we think of the commandments, sometimes we think of the Ten Commandments. And, and so you had those ten. But, but there are many more than Ten Commandments in God's Word and the teachings of God's Word and in the old law. Uh, so there are hundreds of commandments. And in addition to that, the, the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law had added more commandments of their own, hundreds of them, to what God had already said. So he had hundreds to pick from. And he said, this is the greatest commandment. Look in, in verse 37. Love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Now he went on to say a second one like it in importance is love your neighbor as yourself. But he begins with the core of what God wants for us. And that is that with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, we love God first above everything else. And it's easy to say that. In fact, most of us could quote that, right? If, you, if I were to ask you, what's the greatest commandment? You'd probably say, love God, right? With all your heart, soul, mind. You probably know it intellectually like I do. But if it's at the core, then when we're making choices, when we're making decisions about how we're going to spend our time and our money, how we're going to act as a husband or a wife or a son or a daughter, or how we're going to do as parents with our children, when we're making decisions and act, taking action in all of those areas, if we truly love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, then that will be at the core of those decisions that we're making. How does this reflect on what I say about loving God? I tell people I love God. I tell myself I love God. But, but are my actions, are my words, are my decisions reflective of that at the core of who I am and what I'm doing? Matthew 6, Jesus is preaching that sermon often called the Sermon on the Mount. And, and in that sermon, he has a lot to say about, about priorities in life and about uh, how we should view possessions and worrying about stuff in our lives. And in Matthew uh, 6, verse 33, he said, instead of worrying about all that stuff, he says, here's the approach you should take. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things will be given to you as well. Starts with what first? The kingdom. Now, what we get confused about is when we talk about the kingdom, many people today are thinking about heaven down the road as the kingdom of God. And that is part of the kingdom of God. But the kingdom of God exists already, right now. In Scripture, it is revealed to us that the kingdom of God on earth right now is the church. That's the kingdom of God on earth. And the church is, remember, not the building. It's not an institution. The church is what? It's us. So if... If we're seeking the kingdom first and his righteousness first, it means the things of the kingdom will come first in our lives. The things of the church will come first in our lives. You make the connection there? You see that? That becomes the higher priority above everything else. Now, it doesn't mean we neglect the other things. It doesn't mean the other things are not important. It means all the other things will come under that thing as the top priority for our lives. Things of the kingdom first. That's what we seek first. What's good for the kingdom? What's good for my witness for the kingdom? What's good for my effectiveness for the kingdom? What's going to be best to reflect on the one who is the king of that kingdom, who is Jesus, right? How will this reflect on him when I make those decisions or take those actions that I'm thinking about taking? So we 
first need to start with that idea of centering our life around him. The second C is connect. Connect with other Christ followers. If we're going to advance the work of the kingdom, God doesn't want us to do this solo. That's never been his plan. He's never wanted us just to do this, maybe even just with myself and my family. That's not what he planned on. He put the church on earth, the the, the revelation of his kingdom on earth through the church so that we could not just connect to him, but by connecting to him, we talked about this last week, then we also automatically are supposed to connect with each other as part of the church, the family of the church. And so if the kingdom comes first, that means the church comes first, which means the other people that are part of the church take priority in our lives. That, those relationships, those connections with each other start taking priority in our lives. doesn't mean to the neglect of other relationships. It doesn't mean we neglect relationships. In fact, we're supposed to be connecting with people who aren't part of the church. That's part of how we out, do outreach and bring them to Christ. But, but we have this connection with each other as the family of God. Last week we looked at this verse. I want to go back to it in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. It's when those first people that were baptized into Christ after hearing the gospel for the first time, and it says they committed themselves to several things in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. That word fellowship, if you missed last week, it means to share life with each other. To share life with each other. We're doing life together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's why the connection to the church family is so important. And we love for you to be connected to the Lakeshore family. But even if it's not this particular part of the family, any Christ follower should be connected to the family of God in a local congregation somewhere. It's important. It's vital if you're going to do the work of the kingdom that you be connected to others who are doing the work of the kingdom. There are a lot of reasons for it. I think one is accountability and, and encouragement. And, but here's the thing, too. We could get a lot more done together than any of us can do on our own. I mean, when we pull the resources and the gifts and the abilities together, then we have uh, more to draw from, more to use, more to, to, to represent Christ well with as we do the work of the kingdom. And so we need to be connected in fellowship. The early church right here after Acts 2.42, if you read the next several verses and chapters of the book of Acts, you find that they did a lot of things to keep those connections. One is it says they met together in the temple courts, right? As, I mean, there were, there were a lot of people who came to Christ on the front end of this, right? 3,000 the first day, and then you see the numbers continue to grow. And so they needed a big area they could meet in together, and so they met first in the temple courts. But it also says then they also they broke it down into smaller groups. They met in homes on a day-to-day basis with each other. That's where we get the idea of like life groups, you know, doing life together. The big assembly is important. It's good. The Bible says not to forsake that. But, but, but we also don't need to limit it to just that. We can serve together. We can meet together. We can pray together. We can eat together. And those smaller groups like that, that the early church set the perfect example for us of how that needs to work for the kingdom to be advanced the way God wants it to be advanced. Hebrews 10.25 says they, they were not, he warns them not to give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So we center our lives in God and Christ and then we connect to others who are making God and Christ the center of their lives so that we can serve together shoulder to shoulder, arm in arm, six feet apart right now, but together, right? <laughs> we can serve together in the body of Christ together. 
Then the third C is we need to cultivate spiritual maturity along the way. Cultivate spiritual maturity. Um, it's been said, I've used it a lot, you can't help growing old, but you can remain immature forever. Right? We all know people. Don't punch anybody next to you. Okay. We can't help growing old, but we can remain immature forever. So that idea of maturing doesn't just happen just because you showed up. That doesn't automatically make us mature. I attended a church service or I, you know, I, I went to a, a, a life group meeting with, with other people. That doesn't guarantee maturing. That gives opportunities for things to be done and for things to happen that will help mature you, but that won't just magically make it happen. There's a process that we have to go to. Maturing, remember, is an ongoing process. It's not a one-time done deal when you accept Christ, when you get baptized into Christ, when you join. The, you know, that's not a one-and-done kind of thing. It, the Bible refers to that as a new birth, right? So, so when a baby's born, do we just set it out there on the couch and say, all right, grow up and have a good life? Well, some people do, but we shouldn't do that, right? You know, turn on the video, give them a tablet and say, here, grow up now. That's not what we're supposed to do. He puts them in a family. That's God's plan. It's for a child to be brought into a family and with the family there to guide and direct, they are to learn and grow and mature into the adults that they're supposed to be. Well, that's the way it is in our walk with Christ too. And God gives us resources and opportunities for people to mature, to grow up. But here's the thing. You have to take personal responsibility for the process in your life. Just like I have to take personal responsibility for the process in my life. So many people expect somebody else to do this for them. Why isn't the church doing this for me? Why aren't those other Christians doing this? Why isn't my life group doing that? We, we're putting it on other people when it's really whose responsibility? It's ours. Listen to what he says in Romans 12, verse 2. He's saying, this is your responsibility. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, he says, you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. People are always saying, I just don't know what God's will is in my life right now. I don't know what God's will is for this situation. Well, he's saying, all right, there's a process you have to go through that you are responsible for so that you can discern the will of God for your life. And it starts with transforming your mind, letting God transform your mind. Why? Because your mind, your thoughts control your words and your decisions and your actions. It all starts there. So if the mind is going to be transformed, going to be changed, then we've got to put the information into our minds that God wants us to have in there to guide those decisions, those choices, those words that we're going to say. And so God gives us his word. I love there's a meme that's been circulating for a while now. I've seen it on Instagram and Facebook. It's where a guy's looking up to heaven and says, God, I wish you would just speak to me. And there's a hand from heaven with a Bible in it reaching down. Guess what God's already done? He's already spoken to us. That's what the scriptures are. They're God's word. The Bible says all scripture is God-breathed in 2 Timothy. It came from the very mouth and the breath of God. You want to hear God speak? Read God's word. Spend time there. 
I recommend a daily devotion time in your life. There are lots of good resources out there today to help you with that. And there's nothing wrong with using resources. I know people say, well, it's really, if you're really spiritual, you just pick up the Bible and start reading it. Yeah, for some people, that could be one of the most confusing things in the world. If you don't have any background, any, any, any setting in that in your mind of what they're talking about, it can be really confusing. So it's good to use helps to use resources. I still use resources today after being a Christian for a long time and a pastor for a long time. I still use resources today that guide me and direct me and help me continue to grow up and learn and mature as a Christ follower. A lot of you use this, and we recommend it on our website and other places, the YouVersion Bible app. Raise your hand if you use that. Yeah, really good resource. Now, it's not the only one out there. There's a bunch of them, but that's a really good one. If you're really good on your phone or tablet or something like that, and you do devotion time using that, then they could give you daily Bible reading plans, devotionals that they post, uh, scriptures of the day that they post. I usually share a scripture of the day every day from YouVersion Bible app. And, and it's a good thing because it just gives you, if you could set a time, where you can consistently commit, I'm going, to, I'm going to do this at this time, first thing in the morning, or whatever time works for you. You have a set time, and you spend some time in the Word of God. Now, some people don't like the technology stuff, so that's okay, too. You get your Bible, and, and there's lots of great written devotionals that you can use, great guides that you can use there to help you in that daily Bible reading and Bible study that you're going to do. There are podcasts that you can listen to from, from trusted teachers that can help you along the way so that you, got, you have some, some guidance there to understand what you're reading. There are parts of the scripture really easy to understand, but there are parts that you really, you still, I still struggle with today, right? Don't, don't really fully understand everything about it, but I want to hear what other mature Christian people say about those things. It helps me to grow and learn to have that regularly in my life too. So you, you need to have that cultivating spiritual maturity time in your life. Uh, next, this next week, we're going to post on our website and we'll give a link to it and an email that we'll send out. We're going to have an Advent reading plan for everybody if you choose to use it. Uh, it's called uh, Discovering Christmas. It's going to go right along, Rediscovering Christmas. It's going to go right along with our sermon series in December. And it's just a daily reading and devotional time you can have Advent readings every day. So it'll, we'll post it next week and you can start it and go right through the Christmas season up to the celebration of the birth of Christ and leading into the new year. So, so something like that, a plan like that could really be helpful in growing and maturing because the maturing process starts with the mind. So what you're doing with your mind to transform the mind will make a big difference. And it leads to Ephesians 4. I love what Paul says there in verse 15 and 16. He says, here's what we need to do. As Christ followers, instead, speaking the truth in love. Now, how are you going to speak the truth if you don't know the truth, right? So part of the maturing process is you learn what God says is true about things. But then even when you learn the truth, you may not be doing it in a mature way. I mean, can't you be immature in how you pound people over the head with the truth? That's not a mature way to do it. He says you do it in love. That's the mature way of sharing the truth, right? So he says, speaking the truth of love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now, I want you to see the connection there too with the maturing process. It starts with the mind, right? It helps you know the truth, learn the truth. But then that has to be translated into putting it into action. That's why he finishes that passage by saying, we grow and build up the work of the church, the advancing the kingdom, as each part does what? Its work. 
You see, you have to take the mind information and translate it into the action that God is calling for. That's part of the growing up, maturing process. I know a lot of people, you probably do too, we've probably all been guilty of it somewhere along the way, where we felt really good about ourselves because we could say, I completed another Bible study. Yeah, but how many people did you love on in the meantime? How many people did you serve in the meantime? How much work did you do in the name of Jesus in the meantime? Not to earn salvation. That's not what it's about. It's about maturing. That's what grown-ups do. You don't just learn the information. You apply it. You live it out in your life. That's what it means to be mature. And so sometimes we get really impressed with people that have so much Bible knowledge, and they're not out there doing anything to advance the kingdom. It's just their knowledge, and they feel really good about themselves. And they could probably quote a lot of Scripture, and there's nothing wrong with that. I love being able to quote Scripture, but is it translating into service, advancing the kingdom, bringing others to know Jesus and follow Jesus? So each part needs to do its work, which leads to the fourth C, and that is contribute to the cause. Contribute to the cause. 1 Peter 4 verse 10 says this, Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to do what? To serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. I love that here at Lakeshore uh, and many other churches around the world, I meet uh, with a lot of other pastors regularly and, and, and we share with each other how much we love seeing so many in our church families who even during the pandemic have not stopped serving. And even some who have stepped up to serve in ways that they had never served before. And even some that had never served before that just started serving for the first time. Even during the pandemic, as long as this thing has been going on. Now, we've had to be creative, right? We've had to do it in a lot of different ways sometimes. We've had to, to do it within the restrictions that we have with the pandemic. But we still have so many people willing to serve. Uh, here at Lakeshore, during the pandemic, uh, I was trying to make sure we, all of us were thinking of all that were serving and thanking them and doing all of that. And the other elders and I were looking at that. And, and we counted over 125 people that have been serving all during the pandemic right here at the, in the Lakeshore family. Over 125 people have been serving during this time. Now, they were doing it at greater risk, right? Because there's always that, that danger. Now, and I'm not trying to lay a guilt trip on anybody. There are certain things you can't do or shouldn't do based on your health or your age or whatever. That's not a guilt trip. That's saying, but we can all look for creative ways to do it because some of those people served in ways that kept the risk low, but they were still able to make a difference. For example, we have some seniors that made it their job, their, their calling, their ministry to send cards and make phone calls to other people in their Bible study groups and all that. You know, we had to go old school for some of this, right? An old-fashioned phone call. Some people don't want to pick up the phone. They don't want to make a call. They don't want to answer a call. They say, just text me. But during this time of the pandemic, a phone call has become so much more valuable where you could hear their voice talking to you and you could talk to them. Isn't that? And a card in the mail. I mean, we could send a text, right? We could send an email, but a card in the mail, right? They, they've been sending out cards and things like that. Isn't that cool? Because people love to get mail. I don't care who you are. It still makes you feel good when somebody sends you something nice in the mail like that. You see, there are ways you can serve even in a pandemic time. We've had teams still serving at the branch for those who healthy, were health-wise could do that. Just had another group this past week that served at the branch together as a life group. And it was so cool to see that. I love seeing how we have people that will, will still during this time commit 
to advancing the kingdom through serving other people. And, and there have been so many ways that people have been doing that. Volunteers in all of our ministries and our outreach that we've been doing still during this time. And then there are those that also understood the need to financially keep supporting during the time of the pandemic. Uh, churches all around the country have suffered drops and offerings and all of that. And, and uh, we've all been praying and, 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 and looking for ways to, to help people understand the need still there. The, the church mission is still there. The, the, the work still needs to be done. And so, so many people have, have caught that again and they're giving and they're staying. And so many never quit and they just stayed strong. And you know what we've had happen at Lakeshore is so many have had opportunities to make even a one-time gift above what they normally give. And they sent that in during this time or brought that into us during this time. And it has allowed us to keep advancing the kingdom, the work that God has called the church to do. So, so that financial support is also a big, big part of how you could keep advancing the kingdom during this time. I want to ask you to pray about something because prayer is one way you can help us too. Here at this campus in Antioch, and I want the Smyrna campus to pray about this too, we had a restaurant that was leasing some space from us in our building over, as I'm pointing here, this side of the building over here, there was a restaurant over there, that way. And uh, the restaurant didn't survive the pandemic. They went out of business. And so we lost that income from the lease from the restaurant there. They, they, they don't have that coming in anymore. And, and because people have given one-time gifts and given extra money, we've been able to survive that. But we still want to be praying together that God would help us find the right people to come back into that space, right? And, and, and we want it to be used for good things. So we're praying for that, praying for the right match to be there. Uh, it's like when we had the school come in over here, we felt like that was a great match. It's something that really benefited the community. We want to pray that we get something really good in that space too that will be a blessing to the community. So please join with us in praying that, that that could be provided, that God would have the right people, the right company or whatever it is to come into that space because the income would bless us, but also we want something that would bless and be good for the community at the same time. So the financial support is a good thing. But here's what you need to know about Lakeshore. We are never, ever going to come to you and twist arms and put pressure on you to give financially because that's not scriptural to do that. Here's what it says in 2 Corinthians 9, as, as Paul was talking to the church at Corinth there in his letter to them. He says, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a what? Cheerful giver. It's not cheerful when you felt pressured to do it, you didn't really want to do it, but you just felt like you had to or you were going to burn in hell, right? Not much joy in that kind of giving, is there? But when you choose to do it because you love God and you want to advance the work of the kingdom... That's, that's joyful. That's fun. He says, God's able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So God says, when you are generous that way, I'm going to be sure you always have the ability to be generous. It's not just money. It's your time. It's your service opportunities. It's representing Christ well at work. It's all of those things put together that, allow God, that allows God to use you and use me to advance the work of the kingdom of God and there's nothing more important than that. Which leads to the last C. The fifth one is this. Communicate God's love in all that you do. Communicate his love. During this pandemic, I needed the reminder, I think all of us have, we represent Christ to the world. We, the church. If you're part of the church, you represent Christ. When I say to the world, here's what that means. It means to your coworkers. It means to your husband or wife. 
It means you represent Christ to your children. It means you represent Christ to the people at the restaurant where you went out to eat and they're trying to survive this pandemic too, right? And do the best they can. It means you represent Christ at the food bank when you're serving there. It means you represent Christ when you have a disagreement with someone on a business dealing that you're having with them. We all represent Christ if we claim to be Christians. It says in 2 Corinthians 5 about how we need to look at each other as Christ followers. It says this, From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way. We do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And here's what God did then. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The biggest mistake the wealthy farmer made in Jesus' story is he never once thought about how God had given him all these blessings so that he could then use those resources in the best way possible to be involved in the work of the kingdom, the ministry of reconciling people to God in Christ. With whatever resources we have, with time and energy or money or whatever we have, God has called his church to use those things to help reconcile people back to him again. Are we mindfully using what God has given us to advance the kingdom? In 1 Corinthians 15, 56, it says this, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we've been reminded today that you have a plan and a purpose for our lives. And at the heart of it all, it's to advance your kingdom. Help us, Father, to, to recommit ourselves even today to being used by you for that high and holy purpose in our lives. And help us to never take lightly that responsibility that you've given us that ministry, all of us, to help bring others to know and love and follow Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.